We have been dealing with this, the overcoming church focus. We want to be a church that is a church of overcomers. And when we look at the church of Sardis, I want to point out a couple of things about this church. And it was an important city. The city of Sardis was an important city. And it was about 50 miles east of Ephesus at the junction of five roads. It was another place. It was another center of trade. It was a military center as well because it was located in an inaccessible plateau. This city actually sat like 1,500 feet above the main roads, and so it was real high, and it formed this impregnable fortress. You couldn't get in there. It was a place where if you were going to get into a fight, that's where you wanted to be. If an army was coming against you, that's the place you wanted to be because you were going to be able to bring, they weren't going to be able to penetrate you, and you would have a much better chance of bringing destruction to your enemies. The main religion of this city was the worship of our and it was one of the nature cults, and they built upon the idea of death and rebirth. And so they were a people that in that city that were committed to reincarnation. That's what they that, that that's what they thought. That's what they considered. Reincarnation was real. You know, it's like a false resurrection because it talks about you dying and then you become reincarnated in another life and you continue to do that. And so that was the main religion of that particular city. This, this city, Sardis, was also well known because of its, it, it manufactured woolen garments, it, it did wool garments, and it also dyed them, and so that was their main trade and what they sold there. And this city was a city that was great, powerful city. One, you know, one of the cities, like I said, you wanted to be there, and it was a, a place where you were comfortable. You weren't worried about the enemy coming at you. You weren't worried about the enemy bringing destruction or doing anything to you because of where you sat, so it was a good place to be. Jesus speaks to this church in this city, and he, doesn't, he communicates to them in a way that's not really nice. Hallelujah. You know, we always, we, we, we have this mindset, and we think that whenever, you know, we come to Jesus, he's always just going to have a good, nice, you know, lovey-dovey word for us. And everything is going to be good because he just loves us so much. He just wants to rub us and just tell us how much he loves us. It's not so. This city was a place where they were comfortable. They were all right where they were. Everything was okay. There was nothing going to happen to them. It's like some of our lives, especially in the United States of America. You know, there's people that are going through hardship, yes. There's homeless folks, yes. There's people without jobs, absolutely. But most of us that are in this nation, we're pretty comfortable. We're okay where we're at. We're not worried about different things happening to us. We're not worried about being attacked by different, different things. You know, we're, we're, we're pretty secure in where we are. And Jesus speaks to the church that's in this place of comfort. And what I want you to realize is that we find in this church a great warning to every church. And this is the warning. Write it down, please. Do not get comfortable. Do not get comfortable. It's a warning to every church. There was this man. He was a great preacher, powerful preacher, and authored from, he lived from 1901 to 1985, Dr. Vance Havner. And he said, spiritual ministries often go through four stages. The first stage is a man. The second stage is a movement. The third stage is a machine. And the fourth stage is a monument. I'll say it again. He said, most spiritual, uh, spiritual ministries often go through four stages. The first stage is a man. What does that have to do with? Well, what happens is God will get a hold of a man. He will get a hold of him in his prayer closet. He will get a hold of him at wherever it is, and he will get a hold of that man, and he will grip that man's heart and show that man the desperacy of his days, will show that man the need for restoration, will show that man the need for whatever needs to happen, and God will begin to awaken that man. And if God is awakening that man, then what will happen is it will turn into a movement if he follows and he obeys the Spirit of God. If he obeys the leading of the Holy Spirit it goes from being him to then it becomes a movement because he has prayed through he has given birth to that thing which God deposits in him and then it becomes a movement other people become moved by the message that God has placed in this man hallelujah then the movement begins to mature Movement begins to mature. What do you mean, Bishop? We should all strive for maturity. Absolutely. The movement begins to mature, begins to gain certain structures, certain things. You know, you get, especially in the church world, you get some nice doctrinal statements, what you're going to stand for, what you're going to stand against, what you believe, what you don't believe. You get all of these things lined up. This is the way things are going to happen. This is the way things are going to be done. You look at every great denomination, and they all have these things in there. They all started with a man, they all started with a movement, and then they became a machine. 
What do you mean by that? Everything just flows a certain way. There's no more passion. There's no more great desperation. It's just a machine. This just continues to go. We vote this one in, vote this one out. We do this. We do. That's what happens. Becomes a machine. And you know what happens when you become a machine after a while? Then you become a monument. And you know what happens? All we talk about was the days of glory. All we talk about, you remember back in the days. You, when, when this movement started, we have, if you read, read the history on many of the movements of God, and you'll see, man, great history, awesome, wonderful. But what happened? They became monuments. Most spiritual ministries go through this. Comfort due to glorious experiences or great knowledge can become our greatest enemy because we get comfortable. Once the machine is working, once it's happening, it's all good. Everything is okay. You see people coming to Jesus because they're going through desperate situations, and they grew up in church or whatever the case was, and they know that when they're going through hardship, all they hear in their head is you need God. That's what we hear automatically. Hello. And whether the fact is that you need God in that situation or whatever, you realize, you know, I need to come to God. And you come to God, and then what happens? In the beginning, it's like, oh, my goodness, I need the Lord. I'm praying, seeking, reading, studying. I'm, I'm, I'm in everything. And then everything, whatever, whatever was broken in your life, right? Hallelujah. Whatever was broken gets fixed. And then once that gets fixed, then, then that's the real test. Did you really come to him for him, or did you come to him for something? That's, that, that, that's when the reality kicks in. Did I come to him because I needed him to fix my marriage, or did I come to him because I needed him for me? Did I come to him because I needed him to help me with my finances, or did I come to him because I needed him for me? Did I come to him because I had some great problem because I was sick or I was going through some type of hardship, or did I come to him because I wanted him? Why did I come to him? This church we find here in Sardis, Jesus communicates to them. He's not really nice in what he says to them. And the first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. There should be no greater fear or misery than to find out that Jesus has nothing good to say about me. There should be no, listen, I don't care who toots your horn. I don't care who thinks you're all that in a bag of chips. It doesn't matter. It, I, I don't care what everyone else thinks about you. Church, we must have one desire, and that is to ensure that Jesus has something good to say about us. This is the first church that we run into that Jesus has nothing good to say about them. Horrible. The greatest fear that, look, I, and, I, and, and I say this, and, and, you know, and, and I'm kind of torn because I don't wanna, want you to get the wrong message. I, I, my greatest fear is that, man, if I go before Jesus and he says to me, I don't know you, what was up? That would be my greatest fear, to go before him and him to say, man, I ain't got nothing good to say about you. You lived your life for you. You realize that that's possible, right? I don't fear. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid like I'm going to lose my salvation. Oh, my goodness. I'm, that, that's not even the question here. Listen to me. I know I'm secure in Jesus. But the point of the matter is that my greatest thought is, man, this was a real church. When you look at the, Jesus wasn't, Jesus said he's speaking to a church. Again, I want you to understand this. Jesus is talking to someone in a body of believers who started off right. They started off founded upon the gospel. They started off rooted in the things of God. They, they couldn't become a church, and Jesus wouldn't be wasting his time communicating to someone who was never his. Let's, let, 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 let's look at it for what it is. And he communicates to them, and he tells them, Man, I, I, don't, I do not have anything good to say about you. He communicates two things to them on a negative. He, first of all, he well, well, later on, he tells them, I find that your works are not complete. They're not perfect. They're lacking. You know, you got all of this stuff that you do, but you're lacking. All these things that you're lacking. Your works are not complete. In my eyes, they're incomplete. It's like going to a teacher, and you did, like, all this great, you know, you, what you thought was a great work, great paper, whatever it is. Bring it to the teacher. Teacher looks at the paper, says, incomplete. You get no grade for that. Listen to me. I, I, look, you know that's messed up when it happens in school. Think about going before Jesus and hearing him say incomplete. 
Again, I want you to understand this. He is talking to the church, the church of Sardis. He says, I am the one who holds the seven spirits in my hand, revealing himself as the source of everything. He is the source of completion. He goes and he communicates about being these seven spirits. And I want you to get confused because a lot of times we look at the book of Revelation, seven spirits of God, what's that all about? Are there seven spirits of God? Talk about the Trinity. We go through all this kind of craziness. What I want you to understand is that when you look, when you look further ahead in the book of Revelation, you find that, they, that, he, is, that he is represented. And when he talks about these seven spirits of God, he's talking about this lampstand. And he's communicating about this lampstand, understanding that the number seven is what's important here. What is he saying? He's saying that I am the complete. I am the fullness of God. And so the first thing he's saying is that I am the one who brings full illumination to you. In other words, there is no excuse for you to walk in any darkness. Did you hear what I just said? For any Christian, anyone who calls themselves a Christian, anyone, there is no reason, no reason why you should walk in any type of darkness. There may be moments that you don't know what to do. That doesn't mean you're walking in darkness. That just means God hasn't communicated to you what that next step is. That's not darkness. That's in a position of relationship. But to walk in darkness, to not live with the full illumination of God, you continue forward in the book of Revelation, and you'll see that you see the Lamb of God with these seven eyes. And he says that those seven eyes are representative of the seven spirits of God. What's he communicating? I completely search you. I see what everybody else doesn't see. And just to give you those references, that's in the book of Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5 is where you see the lamps. And in the book of Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6 is where you see the, 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 the Lamb of God and the seven eyes. This can also be a reference to the book of Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2 where it talks about the ministry, the complete ministry of the Holy Spirit that is going to be upon Jesus. And so God is trying to say, I am the complete source. He says to them that your works are incomplete, but in the beginning, the first thing he communicates to them is something that is amazing. He says, you have a name that says you are alive, but you're dead. This is reputation without reality. <laughs> Everybody thinks you're alive. You, got, you have a name that you're alive. Listen, if you call yourself a Christian, your name says you're alive. Did you hear that? If you say you are a Christian... If you call yourself a Christian, your name says, I'm alive. Why? Because we serve the only one true God. Hello. Therefore, I am saying, the you cannot be a Christian without Jesus living in you. So your name says, I am alive. Their name, it wasn't the name Sardis. It was, they, they were the church. That was alive. There was, they're in the midst of this city. They're supposed to be alive. But you remember what I said. They're sitting way up on the high mountain up there. Nobody's going to come and bring any kind of destruction. This church, notice, there's no external opposition, no internal opposition. There's no opposition. And one of the things that I want you to understand about the tactics of the enemy, and you need to be careful about this, is when the enemy is not attacking you, he may just be setting you up to just think you're all right. <laughs> When he's not bringing you opposition from the outside, he's not bringing you opposition from the inside, everything is just okay, you need to check yourself. Check your heartbeat. Am I still alive? Hold on a second. There's an issue. Does it mean that every day of my life I'm going to have an issue? No. Does it mean that I'm always going to be going through tribulation and trial? Not necessarily. We're going to go through hardship. We're going to experience some level of spiritual battle. Sometimes those things are going to be more intense than other. But we are always going to sense either an opposition from the enemy. Here's how you know if you're alive. You are either always going to sense an opposition from the enemy or a moving of the spirit in you to come further in him. One of the two. If you're lacking, you don't have any opposition, you have no motivation for more of God, you need to check your pulse. You need to see if you're alive because the reality is one of those things have to be happening in your life on a constant basis. This particular church, they had none of that stuff. Jesus gives them no condemnation. He says their works are incomplete. His first rebuke is to them. says you have a name that says you're alive, but you are dead. Here's the thing. We have to realize this. The church, I've said this before and I'll say it again. The church is not primarily an organization. It is an organism. Church is not primarily an organization that we just have to have good structure, good programs, good things that are going on, good activities that are happening. Organizations do that all of the time. Understand this. We have a nation filled with organizations. 
filled with, with, with places that do wonderful child care, do wonderful programs for kids. We have organizations. We were going we to participate with the, marriage, with the marriage thing, the Together Project. It's an organization that is doing what? That is providing an activity that is going to help marriages. Does that mean it's an organism? No. Does it mean that it's living? Not at all. They have principles that may have been alive at one time, and they're going to present them to you, and if you apply them, they will help. But here's the truth. The truth is that most of the time, and many times, we begin to look at a church from an organizational position rather than from being an organism. We want to make sure everything is right. We want to start on time. Some of us. Some of us wish we didn't start on time, but anyway, all right? Want to start on time? Definitely. Everybody, no matter what time you got here, want to finish on time? Mm-hmm. It's good that we don't say services from 1030 to what, it doesn't say what time we finish, so I'm always on time, no matter what time, glory to God. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Right? I like one church. It said 230 until. Hallelujah. But everybody want to start on time, finish on time, want to have all the good programs, all the right things, and we want to have all, listen, all of those things are good. They don't make you an organism. You can start on time, finish on time, have the best programming, and be dead. Everyone can think you are alive. Everybody, listen, they, Jesus wouldn't be wasting his time Tell them they were dead if they thought they were dead. Mm -mm. The church is supposed to be an organism, a living organism. And what, what marks an organism? Well, there's growth. There's repair, there's reproduction, there's power. And so the first thing, when you're looking at a church, look, there should be some type of growth. What do you mean, Bishop, you're talking about numbers alone? Absolutely not. Because we can organize well enough to have this place overflowing three services. Make it real easy. Trust me. It's not always about that. We, have, we were doing a Bible study in my house, the way of the master. We're doing that Bible study. I remember Brother Ivan was in that class, and he's in the class, and he comes back, and, and every week he's coming back to the class, and he's like, man, I'm being stretched, man. You know, I'm going to work, and I'm doing this, but more than that, I'm sitting down in Bible studies, and I'm like, man, God, what are you saying? I'm calling Pastor Robert. Pastor Robert, what is this? He's talking about God doing something in him. You know what that's saying? You're growing. Hallelujah. Supposed to happen. That's what's supposed to be occurring. You should be being stretched. There should be something going on in your life. You should be reaching other folks. Hello. I say this all the time. I'll say it again and continue to say it until the day I die. Glory to God. If the church would sit, if you would commit, if every person in here would commit to winning one person to Jesus a month, the church would double every month. Did you know how easy that is? Church growth strategy 101. Win one person to Jesus in a month. Glory to God. Amazing. It's that simple. How do we get more people in here? Evangelize. <laughs> Share the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. <laughs> this is amazing. We want to have this organization, we want to have this mindset. Repair. There should be repair. You know what happens when you're in an organism? It fixes itself. Something is broke. Something is messed up. What does your body do? Automatically, I, I don't understand it. Pastor Adler could probably explain it much better than I could. But here's the truth. The fact is, you get hurt, your body begins to work to repair itself. Just does that. That's the way God created it. Guess what? We're the body of Christ. Someone is hurting, that means that prayer should be the first thing that happens, that we're lifting that brother, that sister, that family up in prayer because there is an area in the body that is hurting. But the issue is when people are hurting, nobody knows about it. Nobody cares. Oh, whatever, they'll get over it. Prayer lives aren't changed. Pray, listen, nothing, nothing happens. I was so I was blessed. I was extremely blessed on Tuesday night. I sent out an email, and you know, and, and, I, and I said, "Listen, church, we really got to recognize that there is definitely some spiritual opposition that is taking place. There's definitely, you know, something that that that's happening. I sense it. I see what's going on. I mean, there's spiritual things that I sense. There's things that I see in the natural that confirm what I'm sensing in the spirit. I was blessed to see brothers and sisters show up to come and cry out to God. It was awesome. 
Awesome. We responded. And, and that's what we have to do as a body. And listen, I know some of you couldn't make it. You have things you got. But listen, take that time from 7 to 8 o'clock. Get on your face before God in your house. You can't make it to the church. Be faithful. Get on your faith. Be here in spirit. Don't be sitting there watching TV at 7 o'clock saying, I couldn't make it. Listen, I understand everybody has schedules and all, all that good stuff. Look, I'm, I'm not questioning any of that. Make it a point. You got to do something. You got to work at that time. Man, make it a point. I'm going to get on my face from 10 to 11 and spend that hour before the Lord. I'm going to get up an hour earlier on, the, on, on that day to make sure that I do unite with my brothers and sisters in faith. That's what our heart has to be. There's repair. Something takes place. Are we dead? Well, well do, we, do we have some repair? Do, do we have some reproduction? Glory to God. Producing after Jesus. I mean, when, when God creates the heavens and when he creates the earth in the beginning of the book of Genesis, he tells them to what? To be fruitful and multiply after what? Someone else's kind? No. After their own kind. He wanted, you know, human beings to, to reproduce what? Human beings. That's what should be happening. So that means that you can't do that if you are not what? Evangelizing. If you're not communicating the gospel with people. And there's power. There's power in our times when we come together. I was blessed, and I and 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 I and I I I, I, I I'm going to use my brother Tony over here. He he met he met us on the internet. Um, he he was searching for churches on the internet, and he was you know talking about his um you know he 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 emailed me and said, listen, you know I listened to a few messages and stuff like that, and I was blessed. I was encouraged, you know, because I'm like, well, praise God, you know, the work that Lewis does to keep everything up there is a blessing. Someone is being blessed by that. Sent him a message, you know, to give him, gave him directions to the church. He showed up to the church. When he comes to the church, he sends me a text message afterwards, and he says, man, it's been a long time since I walked into a true house of God. He said, man, the spirit of the Lord was really in that place. He said because I don't normally break down, and and I was like, man, I mean, I'm almost crying while I'm reading this thing. I'm like, glory to God. You know, I'm blessed because, I, you know, listen, I, I tell you straight up, it is important for us to have the power of God moving. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not moving. We got issues, y'all. If God, it doesn't, listen, it doesn't mean everybody's going to be like popcorn popping all over the place. Don't mean that. Doesn't mean that everybody is going to be, you know, just loud and boisterous. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that there is going to be a presence of God that is consuming our hearts. Listen, I cannot wait. You, you don't even understand. I, for many reasons, but this is one of the main reasons why I cannot wait to move into the new church. Let me tell you why. Because we have this beautiful altar. And I envision, and I'm just sharing the vision because you may not get the vision, you know, if I don't send the memo out right now. So I'm going to send it out right now. I envision people coming to the house of the Lord, getting on their face, surrounding the altar, and crying out to God together. That is my heart of hearts, to see people doing that. And I'm like, I can understand why they don't do it here. It's kind of tight, you know, a little crazy. But over there, glory to God. There is room for everyone at the altar. But not this. And listen, I don't have an issue. <laughs> I don't have an issue with folks, you know, out there praying, but I know y'all be falling asleep, glory to God. Get down. Oh, you see, they don't want to laugh at that one, right? But get down on your face, and you're like, you, you, you start praying in the spirit, and before you know it, you're snoring in the spirit. Like, oh, wait, hold on a second. I was trying to interpret that tongue there. No, 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 that was, that was, not, that was not the Holy Ghost. Listen, I'm not telling you you can't pray in your seats, man. What I'm saying, church, is this, is that for me, what I realize is that there has to be a passion for the presence and power of God if we're going to see it. And you know what? Let me say this sincerely. Everybody in here, don't depend on someone else to bring it for you. No, you didn't get me. Don't depend on someone else to pray hard enough and pray long enough for you to feel God. You need to start birthing something in the spirit. You need to start getting pregnant with a passion for the presence of God. Understand you are part of this organism. You provide life to the body. And one of the greatest ways that you do that is through the vehicle of prayer and getting before God and coming together. I'll tell you right now, I have never seen more glory manifest in services than when the body of Christ comes together together desperately seeking the face of God never listen I've heard wonderful preaching that'll just make you you know just cry it's, oh my goodness and still in all never seen the glory of God come down like when I see people on their face before God saying God we hunger for you we thirst for you and we expect you to do something an organism are we alive or are we dead number two repeat this after me while being declared dead by Christ 
may seem hopeless, there is no one who you'd rather have make that declaration over you because he is the resurrection. Listen, doctor declares you dead. You know what he said? There's nothing else I can do. Hear, hear what I'm saying. Paramedic declare you dead on the side of a road. You know what he said? Nothing we can do. Zip him up. Jesus declares you dead. Oh, there's something he can do. Glory to God. Listen, Jesus is not declaring them dead because he wants to zip them up. Jesus is declaring them dead because he wants to wake them up. He's letting them understand. Listen, and this should be encouraging because you may be sitting in here. Maybe that's why it's so quiet. I don't know. But, you know, you may be sitting here thinking, man, am I dead? Like, oh, hold on a second here. Right? Thinking, man, I, you know, I'm not like passionate about prayer. I'm not passionate. I'm not, you know, I'm not like deep in, in worship. Maybe I'm dead. Listen, you could be. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to negate that. You, you, you very well could be dead. That's fine. You're in the right place to be dead. What do you mean, Bishop? Listen, you're in the presence of Jesus. If he is communicating to you and he's convicting your heart, there is still hope. Glory to God. He's communicating to these churches because he's saying, look, I planted you. I started you. You started the right way. I want you to resurrect. I want you to rise up. Here's the thing you got to realize. Christians and ministries fall asleep for different reasons. The hardest thing, this is the hardest thing. The hardest thing to do is to recognize you're asleep. That's the hardest thing to do. It's hard to admit it, especially when you become part of the machine. I'm all right. I pray. I have my prayer time. I'm all right. I read my word. I'm okay. I talk to some people about Jesus. Okay. You're all right, I guess. That's what they thought. They thought they were okay. I guarantee you they were doing all of that. As a matter of fact, I guarantee you they were probably more sanctified than most of us. Why? They had a lot less to contest to contend with. They didn't have TV. They didn't have all of this stuff going on around them. They didn't have none of that stuff. They were more holy than you and I any day, just by default. They thought they were okay. The hardest thing, church, is to realize we're asleep. Once you realize you're asleep, hopefully, hopefully, you'll do one of two things. You'll say, I'm going to keep sleeping because it's good right here. I'm okay right where I'm at. And there are some people that will walk out of here and you'll be just like that, be like, I'm good, you know, whatever. Or what you will do is you will recognize I'm asleep. Jesus is communicating to me, and I need to wake up. He communicates to this church, and he tells them, he says, in verse 2, he tells them, be watchful. Another translation says, wake up. In the Greek, that's what it's saying. It's saying, wake up and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God or perfect before my God, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, in other words, if you will not wake up, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come to you. This call to wake up, I want you to realize this. When you read your Bible and you look up this word and you, and you go on ahead, and, and, and it's a little bit more difficult if you don't have the computer software to do it, but if you can go ahead and look in an Englishman's concordance and you look up this particular word for wake up there, when you look up that word, you know, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he tells him, you couldn't watch with me for an hour, that's, what he, that's the word that he uses there. He goes on and, and you look throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament, and you'll find that when, that, that when the apostles are saying that you to be watchful and be vigilant it's the same word and so here's what I want you to realize this word to wake up is not solely a call to prayer but is a call to the attitude that we must have to be effective in prayer and to be faithful in our Christian living that's what he's saying He's saying the attitude has been lost. The attitude that you once had that made your prayer effective is gone. The attitude that you once had that made your lifestyle be the salt and the light it was supposed to be is gone. You're sleeping. You're going through the motions and you're doing everything, but your watchfulness, your diligence is lacking. And that is what Jesus is saying. He's saying y'all got to wake up. Wake up. There's no vigilance in your life. There's no like, oh my goodness, you know, I, I, I see clearly. 
Everything is dull. Everything is normal. That's because you're sleeping. Hear me. You lose that. And you don't get that from anybody else but the one who is, reveals himself in the beginning. What does he say? I hold the seven spirits. That comes from him. It comes from intimacy. It comes from relationship with him. You don't get that vigilance from hanging around with just vigilant folk. Listen, there have been plenty of people, and I've been in ministry long enough to see this. You get people who get around you, they want to get some vigilance in their life. They want to get woke up and stirred up. Like, you know, come and hang out with some Holy Ghost folk and all that. They come and hang out with some Holy Ghost folk, and you know what? That doesn't mean that they're going to become Holy Ghost folk. Hello. It's like a new term, Holy Ghost folk. Hallelujah. So, you're not necessarily going to get it because what will happen is, you know what, if you don't have that happening to you from the Holy Ghost, you know what will happen? You will get worn out and you'll be like, I can't hang out with them people, man. People are too spiritual. People want to pray too much. <laughs> Always want to pray, pray, pray. We, we were accused of that one time, glory to God. I've never been in a church that prays so much. I want to pray before meetings, after meetings, all over the place. Like, man, we pray too much, glory to God. No. Hmm. Hear me. Vigilance. He's saying, wake up. Get it back. You lost something that was there. He tells them also this other word. He says to strengthen those things that remain. I look at that word strengthen, and it's a Greek word, sterizo. You know what it sounds like, right? Steroids. Think about it. He's not telling you to use steroids, but listen. listen. He's saying strengthen those things. In a spiritual sense, he is. He's saying, look, because I'm going to tell you what, the power of God is like steroids in comparison to anything that we have on a whole nother level. Are you hearing me? Any joy we have with Jesus, it's a totally different thing. Peace we have with Jesus, totally different thing. And what he's saying is you need to build up those things. And what happens is all steroids does, all it is is it's just certain hormones that your body has already. And what it does is it shoots it into your body and it just, it just activates those particular hormones for growth and strength. And then it creates some other thing. That's all it does. And so what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying get to the thing that makes you grow. Get to the thing that keeps you vigilant. Get to the thing that keeps you serving me diligently and fervently get to the thing that keeps you alive and not dead get to those things those things that remain those things that are spiritual those things that are not carnal get to those things and allow me to build you up so you can become the bright light in the midst of the city you're supposed to be allow me to inject you with the power of the holy spirit this is what he's saying strengthen those things those things are lying dead you're you're dead you're you're not even responding to my spirit to my word let me fill you that's why i said it's awesome that he's the one declaring you dead because if he's saying you're dead he's saying there's hope the question is will you respond the keys that he gives us here to waking up and strengthening what remains is the first thing he tells us is he says to remember he says to remember in verse 3, remember, therefore, how you have received. Remember how you have received and heard. He's, well, what he said, he's saying to them, you receive something. You wouldn't be a church if you didn't really receive something. I'm letting you know that you receive something for real. When you look at the tense of this word receive, it's in the perfect. In other words, what it's saying is it really means they received something. When they heard the gospel, they received it. But what happened is they forgot. And when, when comfort sets in, it is usually because we forget the gospel and how God changed us by it. Comfort begins to set in when we forget about the gospel, man. We forget about what Jesus did. We forget. And I don't just mean on the cross by itself because, again, we automatically think the gospel. We think, well, what do I have to do? Focus on him on the cross, all bloody, battered, and beaten? Or is that, is that all the gospel is? No. Throughout the New Testament, we find out what the gospel provides, the liberty, the freedom, the joy, the intimacy, the relationship that we have. That is the gospel. We forget that. Because we allow situations, circumstances, we allow things to overwhelm us. And so what ends up happening is we begin to forget. And he says, remember what you have received. Remember what you have heard. He goes on and he tells them, he says, remember that. The second thing he says is, hold fast. Hold fast. So the second thing that we got to do, or the second thing that he gives us, we must devote ourselves to keeping what we have received and heard. Devote ourselves to keeping that. 
I often say this, and this is one of the things that there, there may be times in my life, and I know for me personally, when I when I first became a Christian, I was in youth ministry. I never forget our first the first real youth pastor that we had, Pastor Ricardo Osini. I respect him and honor him. He wasn't the most exciting preacher. You know, he spoke in Spanish. He was kind of monotone in the way that he preached. He definitely wasn't yelling like me all the time. And so different, different, different guy. But you know what this guy did for for, for sure, always had us doing, and sometimes, and the reason why I tell you about falling asleep, because I used to fall asleep, glory to God. He used to be like, come on, let's pray. I'd be like, pray? I thought we were coming to jump and shout. No, let's pray. I thought this was youth ministry. Pray. <laughs> come, to youth, come to youth service. No lights, camera, action, no pray. Like, how long are we going to pray? Until. Sometimes I think he was telling us to pray because he still didn't know what he was going to preach. <laughs> saying. Be like, come on, we need to pray to God to speak to me. I don't, I don't even know. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just making that up right now. But listen, the, the, the fact is, it was like, dude, why are we praying so much? But you know what it was? Is that we were carnal, big time. We were, we, we, we were in the flesh. And you know what he realized? There's only one solution for the flesh. That is the spirit. The Bible says to put to death the deeds of the flesh by what? The spirit. And so what, there's one way you get into the presence of God for sure, and it is through prayer. Come and pray. Listen, I fell asleep sometimes on the altar. I was like, man, I, I, I pray, but my goodness. But I would tell you this. Those were foundational things for me that I will never forget. And whenever I start to lack in an area, whenever I start to, you know, whatever, I always go back to what? Those things that I heard, those things that I received. Get connected. That's what we did. Got connected to Jesus. And so we have to devote ourselves. We have to hold fast. That means to guard. You understand that? It means to guard. It means to protect. It means to be proactive in making sure that you let nothing steal what God has placed in you. It means that you are proactive in not just remembering those things, but living those things. Because here's the problem, and this is why devotion to keeping or holding on to what we have is so important. It is because too many of us have been deceived into believing that what we have known, what we have experienced, or where we have been is all enough. No. Not about what you, what, what you heard in the past. It's about what you are learning now in your relationship with him. It is not about where you've been. It is about where you are with him. It is not about the experiences you've had because too many people, and I'm not just talking about us in here. I'm talking about throughout the body of Christ. Too many people talk about the old days of glory and are doing nothing, nothing to bring those things back. They want to see. They're waiting for someone else to get the passion that someone else had so they can again experience what they experienced through someone else. I can't, but but they're waiting for someone else to get a, <laughs> glory to God, to get a motivation, to get stirred so they can experience the presence of God through someone else. Listen, I was, I was, I, you know, you all, y'all know I do not watch TBN. I just, I don't do it because, you know, whatever. I just don't watch a lot of Christian TV. Uh, I don't watch any Christian TV, really. Um, but I happened one night, I was sitting there, and I, and I, I was watching it because this guy was actually saying something really good. He was talking about prayer, and I was like, well, praise God. Someone is talking about prayer, and then they got into the next one. We're going to talk about repentance. Hallelujah. You know, I was excited. I was like, glory to God. They're talking about prayer and repentance on TBN. That is awesome. Jesus is coming. So anyway, um, you know, he's, he's preaching, and this old-timer, he was there. He was the one doing the interview, and he, he was an older guy. I don't even know who, I don't know who either one of these guys were, and he's an older guy. And he stands up, and he's like, you know what? He said, I'm going to say this. And he said, I know I'm going to get in a bunch of trouble for saying this. He said, but it is time for us to make sure that our children and our grandchildren experience the same glory that we did. It is time for us to take that position. It is time for us, not just for them, but because we truly want to leave them a legacy. And listen, if you never had an experience, read some history on experiences and get stirred about bringing the glory of God into the earth. 
Because some of us didn't grow up in Christian backgrounds. Some of us didn't grow up in the era where we were seeing crusades and all this stuff. And we were there, but we didn't go to those things. We never experienced them. But what God is trying to do in the church is trying to say, wake up. I want to do something glorious. I want to manifest my kingdom. But I got to find a people to birth it through. I have to find the people who are going to get motivated, who are not waiting for someone else to bring it. You need to bring it. <laughs> you need to bring it. You need to be the one who gets broken, who says, and I'll, I'll say it like this. I don't care if Bishop ain't there. I'm going to be there. I don't care if the pastors aren't there. I'm going to be there. I don't care if so-and-so's, you know, sister spiritual, brother spiritual is not there. I am going to be there. Where is there? In the face of God, crying out until the glory is revealed. He's saying, wake up, church. Wake up. Keep. Hold fast to what you have heard and what you have received. Look, you don't even have to read history. Read the book of Acts, and you will be stirred to see the glory of God manifest in the earth. It's there. Of what God has done. The third thing that he says is he tells them to repent. And for a lot of folks, that word repent is just a taboo word. Especially in church, we get tired of hearing repent. Man, all he preaches about is repent. All he preaches about is repent. Hello, hello. Pastor Robert, he used to, everybody used to always say, oh, well, you know what, Pastor Robert goes up there, he's going to say hell. And you know what, that's a good thing. We need to hear about hell often. Amen. Because you know who needs the greatest revelation of hell? The church. Yeah. We need a great revelation of hell. We need to be reminded about the, 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 the eternality. I guess that's a word. I don't know. Glory to God. Maybe it's a new one. The eternality of hell. I'm going to just say it. I'm going to say it proud. That was good. Eternality. You like that? Glory to God. <laughs> they need, we, 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 we need to get a, I'm going to say it again. We need to get a revelation. That hell is forever. We need that. We forget. We just think about, well, what am I going to get? Where's my blessing? Hold on a second. You received your blessing when you met Jesus. Now go share it. He is that blessing. Oh, but I need a breakthrough. No, you need intimacy with him. I need, you need him. That's what you need. Because when you have him, you will start sharing him. And when you start sharing him, I love him. My, my, my uncle-in-law, he came in here and he said, as a Christian, this guy's a preacher for years. He said, I didn't start growing as a Christian till I started sharing the gospel. So I wasn't growing. I wasn't. Why, man? Because you're not exercising your faith. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. It may be tough to pray, but it's a lot harder to get out there and share the gospel with folks. You, you, it may take you some time to stir up prayer and all that good stuff and get to that place, but try to make it a habit to go out there and share the gospel. You'll see how much more difficult that is. Then prayer will become natural because you, ne you definitely need God to get out there and do that. He tells them to repent. We don't want to hear that word. We think, that well, that's just for people who don't know Jesus. No, it's for us who do know him. You know why? Because we forget. And because we forget, we sin. And we sin, what does that mean? We need to repent. We need to change our mind, change our direction. That's what it means. And so for Christians, for churches, he says, repent. Turn away from your complacency. Turn away from your mindset. Turn away from your way of being. Turn away from your dead orthodoxy. Turn away from all of your religious behaviors and allow me to fill you with my spirit and wake you up. And make you what I've called you to be. Here's the here's reality. The reality is this. If we are unwilling to wake up, judgment will come upon us and we won't even know what hit us. Hear me. Now I'm going to say this and I always have to preface these statements because I don't want anybody to automatically think, well, oh, this person must have been doing that. No. Not every single person that goes through a hardship is because it's a judgment from God. All right? That's not, that, that, that's not factual. But I, but, but I do want to emphasize something. There are many people who their experiences where they like all of a sudden the rug was pulled out from under them and life just went into shambles. Many of them, it's because they were sleeping and they refused to wake up. 
because they were hearing about getting into prayer and they're like, man, I need to pray, but they never started to pray. Because they were hearing about, you need to get into the word. Man, I need to get into the word. They never got into the word. Because they were hearing about, I need to get plugged in to the body. I need to start participating. They never did. And so what happens is, they hear something. It's like when the alarm clock goes off, right? You come to church, the alarm clock goes off, you hit the snooze button. Depending on how long I preach, that's how long it's going. Man, 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 right? So you hear that. And, and in between there, prayer, right? Man, man, the word, man, man. That's what you hear, right? So you get, got that. Hear it week after week. Snooze button. You walk out. I'm good. Let me just, let me just chill. Let, let, let me have my last. This is going to be the last week that I do this. It's like starting that diet on Monday. I'm going to go through the whole weekend, eat like a pig. I'm going to eat every single thing that I'm not going to be able to eat for the next six months. What happens on Monday? You're just craving that stuff, right? You don't start. By the nighttime, like, got a headache. I just need to have something. Before you know it, I'm starting next Monday. Six years later, you're starting every Monday. It's the same thing. And you know what you realize? Get on the scale. Man, that, that thing, this thing must be broke, <laughs> Right? And then here's what happens. Let's flip it around. When that rug gets pulled out of under you and everything falls into shambles, man, something's wrong with them. Something's wrong with him. Something's wrong with her. Oh, they don't understand. Wait a second. How many times have you hit that snooze button on God and continue to sleep and continue to do it your way and continue to try to figure it out another way rather than simply respond. That's why repentance is so awesome because it is a response that says, listen, I'm done doing it my way. I'm going to respond to you. No question, no reserve. I'm going to walk according to the way you say to walk. Period. No snooze button. It's to get up out of the bed and start doing what you got to do. That's what it is. And his grace is sufficient. The third thing, please repeat this after me. Even in dead churches, there can still be and often are living Christians. Look what he goes on to say to them. He says this in verse 4. He says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. In the midst of this dead church... In the midst of this dead people, there's still some people. See, they had a name. Remember the beginning says, you have a name, says you're alive, but you're dead. He says there are a few names among you that have not defiled their garments. There are a few folks in your midst. They're not dead. They're not sleeping. They're crying out to God. And they're praying. And you know why God has them there? Many times we don't understand it. Because, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've seen people that are in church and I'm like, Man, this person is so amazing. Why are they there? And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not trying to be mean to a church. I'm just saying, you know, sometimes you know a church, and you see what's going on there, and you see, man, that that's not a good place for, for any Christian to be. It's a bad environment. And you wonder, why is this person, this person's got this, I mean, these characteristics that you can see. I mean, there, there's some people that, you know, they may be faking it well, but there's others, man, that you know, man, that there's God all over this person. Why is that person there? They're a demonstration of God's mercy to that church. They're a demonstration. God will put them there and be like, I have you here because I want you to pray this ministry through this. I want you to pray. I want you to be that life. I want you to be that voice. I want you to be that person who is demonstrating a real hunger. And there's two reasons why this happens. The first reason is because God sincerely wants that ministry to resurrect, sincerely wants that ministry to do right. But the second reason is because if they don't, God is going to point to them and say, you know what? You have no excuse because I had them there communicating my truth demonstrating my character and being my example in your midst and when I shut you down you are you you, you are excuseless Jesus is amazing he tells him he said there's some that that have not defiled their garments in other words there is a part that is our responsibility it's still by grace because we don't do anything in our own ability when it comes to be giving glory and honor to God but the fact of the matter is we make a decision to agree with God or disagree period you hear this preaching today, you hear about prayer, you hear about the word, you hear about all of these things that need to happen. The Holy Spirit speaks to you wherever it is, and you have a choice. Am I going to obey him or am I going to disobey him? It's as simple as that. 
I know we try to justify it and all of this other stuff. We try to make it look pretty. It is very simple. You either obey or you disobey. That's it. You either obey what the word of God says or you disobey what the word of God says. He tells them, listen, you haven't defiled your garments. Therefore, you're going to walk with me in white. He's not just talking about future. He's talking about now. You are going to walk with me. I am going to demonstrate myself through you. I am going to show people that you are of godly character. Even though you're in the midst of them, I'm going to make you shine brightly. That's why when you see those folks that are in those places that you don't understand why they're there, you're like, you know what? Now you understand. God is just making them shine brightly, showing you there is a true God moving and manifesting in that person's life no matter where they are. And God wants to help this ministry get to where, it wants, where, where he wants him to be. Ultimately, I want you to get this, and, and, and people don't want to understand this either. God is the one who opens churches, and he's the one who closes them. It's him. It's his church. He opens them, and he closes them. Our job is not to judge whatever. Our job is to be faithful, to continue on as God takes churches through the process. In closing, this is what I say. As we remain undefiled by grace... We will be undeniable by grace in eternity. As we remain undefiled by the grace of God, as we walk and live our lives in an untainted, uncontaminated manner, it doesn't mean perfect. See, because it's one thing to fall, get a little dirt on you. It's a whole different thing to roll around in the mud. Different scenario. It's one thing, as a matter of fact, I say it like this. It's one thing to walk through the dust. You know, you think, I got through it. That was, you know, a little dust. I didn't see it. But when you look later on, you know, you drive your car, you, especially, you know, you drive your car and you're like, man, you drove through this dust storm. You didn't realize how much dust got on you. It's different than you sitting down in that mud and getting all filthy. It's a different thing. Sometimes we got to walk through stuff. Sometimes we have to go through things. It doesn't mean that we have to wallow in it and get all dirtied by it. And so we see clearly here, real simple. He says, look, you've remained undefiled. You're walking white with me now. And then he goes on to communicate to them in verse 5. He says, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. I will not blot, blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Amazing promise. Church, I washed you. I made you clean. And so here's what happens. You remain undefiled while you're on this earth by my grace. And now you're undeniable by that same grace in eternity. When you come before God the Father, Jesus is going to say, yep, that one's mine. That one has repented. That one has put their faith in me. That one has put their trust in me. It's an awesome promise, church. I hope that we're awake. Let's all stand to our feet.